life, sex, goals, and oh, hell knows, this is Midlife Cravings. Cravers, I am so excited. Dr. V, my OBGYN is here and I want to get right to it. But first, you know I've been taking my time getting to know my new Tracy's Dog Toys and I have found a new Rosie. I love Rosie. I always have. But every rose I have, it's died. For those of you counting, (laughs) there's been four. And listen, I know I use my toys a lot, okay? Like I'm working them out. But come on, that should last a lot longer. So I refuse to buy anymore, and I'm sad about it. (laughs) But Tracy's dog sent me this new toy called P-Cat. It's P.Cat. When I used it, I realized it is exactly like Rosie except it's actually a little easier to hold. It's the exact same clip pulsing. I remember a pro tip is to use lube with it in the exact same settings. That sixth setting is the best orgasm. It's the bump, bump, bump. It edges you and it gives you that intense pyramid or I also like to call it a stepladder orgasm. It's absolutely the most unique orgasm I've ever had from a toy. I've also been wearing her out for science, (laughs) and she seems to be going real strong. Also, you know, I believe in Tracy's dog toys because I've been using them since 2017. Captain Morgan, I use him five to six times a week, and he's still going strong. So listen, if you're having the same experiences with your Rosie, and she's dying on you, and you have the frustration like I do... Go get yourself a P-Cat at tracysdog.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y-S-D-O-G.com. Use code CRAVERS20 for 20% off. And she's only 39 bucks. okay? She's worth every penny. <laughs> I would pay $39 per orgasm that that toy gives me. <laughs> when you get her, don't forget, a little lube is key. And her sixth setting, that is where the magic happens. Again, that's PCAT on tracysdog.com and use code CRAVERS20 for 20% off. And now welcome my favorite doctor to the show. I'm so excited that she's here. Dr. V, thank you so much for coming on the show. When I started the show in December 2020, and I cannot believe it, it's almost been two years, I always had two very specific guests in mind that I wanted to have on my show a gynecologist because I'm so passionate about sexual health and then like losing the stigmas around STDs and stuff like that. And then also a divorce lawyer. So (laughs) you are knocking out one of those guests for me today. And I cannot tell you how much it means for me for you to be here. So thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. One of my, and thanks for being one of my favorite patients. Oh, thank you for that. I'm just, I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so thankful for your time. I know how busy you are, how much you work, whether you're in the office doing pap smears, looking at vaginas, or in the OR performing operations like you had surgery with me, or being on call. Like people don't realize, like, the amount of time that you put into this. So I'm just so thankful. So I want to jump right into things with you. But first, I want to learn your, your story, because I still don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how did you become an OBGYN? <laughs> like, like, what did you wake up one day and say, I'm going to look at vaginas all day? <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people think we do. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm here. So um <laughs> 
I, that's a great question, and it's one that I don't know that I always know the answer to fully. Um, I know I was definitely inspired by my first gynecologist mm-hmm. who delivered me and my mom, mostly my mom's relationship with him that she had throughout her life. And she's, you know, she went through some stuff. Mm. Um, and it was a male gynecologist. It was a male gynecologist. Because you're my first female yep. gynecologist. I've and, talked about yep. it on my show before. I have all male doctors mm-hmm. and you're the first female. So, mm-hmm. And actually, <laughs> that's something that's been interesting. Um, you know, obviously, in, most doctors were male mm-hmm. uh, at some point. Um, and women have been kind of creeping in. Um, and at this point, it's about 50-50 in medical school enrollment mm. um, and has been for a while. But certain fields certainly are still dominated um, by certain genders. And, mm. and OBGYN is currently dominated by women. Whether that's a pro or a con, I don't know. Um, I think it's a pro because we own them, <clears throat> right? Yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely you know, pros and cons. But, um, you know, the fact that they had this lifelong relationship and uh, I just thought that was so cool. You know, mm. he... Helped her through all kinds of things um, throughout her life. And, you know, they had a relationship. And I just thought that was so cool. So you went to school to be a doctor, a gynecologist specifically. Like, you knew that was your track. Well, I actually, I wouldn't say that. I um, I actually didn't, I wasn't Mm -hmm. pre-med. And my initial plan was not medical school. I actually graduated with a degree in biology and math. And I started at NIH Mm. doing, you know, bench research. Yeah. Um, So I worked in a lab for for a while, you know, doing medical research. And it was microbiology. You know, I I was, everyone worked so hard. Mm -hmm. You know, they were there long hours. They put in so much brain power. They really were passionate about it. And I just, I didn't really have the passion that they did. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of occurred to me that, you know, they work so hard and they come in on the weekends and they stay long hours. And if they're lucky, they might make a contribution that that helps somebody. Like someday. a breakthrough. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And everyone has to do that research and it has to get done. And, you know, there's a lot of little steps that lead to the bigger steps mm-hmm. and it's a process. So, you know, not to minimize what they're doing, obviously that's necessary, mm-hmm. but I felt like I needed to have a little bit more tangible impact on people's lives. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's really what kind of pointed me toward medical school. I was like, you know, I'd work really hard, which long story short, you don't want to hear about that, but that was not my goal in life, you know, but at least I would help people every single day. Yeah. And I would talk to people every single day and right. The face to face. I needed to be a little bit more social than some of the people in the lab I worked with, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but I could, I could, you know, be with people and and make a difference in somebody's life every single day Mm -hmm. um, or at least more often than I would there. So that that's kind of what changed my track. Um, And then I ended up going to medical school and um, I actually wanted to do anything but OBGYN. (laughs) Um, I because, you know, the lifestyle is hard. The OBGYN lifestyle is very hard. Right. You're on call. They're having babies all the time. Yep. Right. There's no schedule for having a baby. Um, and so I was kind of desperately hoping to fall in love with something else (laughs) Mm. and never quite happened. (laughs) So that was kind of my destiny. Um, so somehow I I feel so ignorant, but what does it take to become an OBGYN? So it's Mm -hmm. like four years of medical school or no, it's four years of undergrad after college, which Mm -hmm. you have, and you have to take certain classes to get into medical school. Okay. So some people might do that as a pre-med track or some people might just add them on to their other Mm-hmm. classes or even go back and do, you know, some classes over the summer. Um, and then after you uh, graduate college, you go to medical school and that's four years. Four years. Okay. Um, and then you graduate with your degree. 
um, your your MD, mm-hmm. but then you still have to go to, and so you could at that point go out and do something that's not clinical practice. So for example, some people might go, you know, work for the FDA or, or you might go back to NIH and work, yeah. you know, in a lab or something like that. But I'd say most people that go to medical school probably are planning on clinical practice because mm. you got to pay off that medical school somehow. Right. And then um, so you go into clinicals, right? And then you go into your field and start. So then after hours? medical school, you apply to residency. Oh, so if you're okay. going to do some kind of clinical practice, see patients, do patient care, you, you would go to residency. And that varies depending on the field. Hmm. So something like, so OBGYN is uh, in most places four years. Okay. Wow. That, this is a lot yep. of dedication, by the way. Yep. So I spent my 20s in college. I got an MBA, but nothing like this. Yeah. this is, that's that's yeah. a lifetime choice. It is. Mm-hmm. So by the time you finish with residency, you know, you're now in your... Jesus. 20th <laughs> year of school. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite jokes, whenever people kind of say, oh, you look like you're too young to do this. And I never know if that's a compliment or an insult. And I just kind of try to laugh it off. And yeah. I say, well, I'm old enough to go to school for 25 years. Yeah. So it's old enough to take care of you. Yeah, so. really. It's a, that's a hell of a dedication. Yeah. So by the time you're out of residency, you've already been doing it for four years. Yeah. So it's medicine is really an apprenticeship. And that's what it is. It's just like learning to take care of cars or learning to do woodworking. Mm-hmm. You know, you start off working with people that know what they're doing a little bit more than you and you just do it mm-hmm. and you get better and better and people are guiding you along the way. And by the time you finish, you have some kind of pretty good skill. And then yeah. the longer you do it, you kind of refine that and you're always learning new things. And so it's really an apprenticeship. It's a very old, very classic profession in that way. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. So let me ask you a question because I, and I feel really, I told you how ignorant I feel. I didn't know there was a difference between OB and I just call you an OBGYN, OB slash GYN or a gynecologist, mm-hmm. gyno, whatever. I didn't know there was a difference. So the OB is babies. So that's obstetrics. <laughs> yep. So okay. um, an obstetrician gynecologist is what it stands for. Okay. And so you, you would start off going to a general OBGYN residency program. You would get it trained in obstetrics and gynecology. So, so you're learning how to <clears throat> deliver babies and do pap smears mm-hmm. and general women's mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. Oh. So you're taking – so it involves primary care. Mm-hmm. It involves, you know, screening. It yeah. involves managing gynecologic issues. So period issues, fibroids. Um, There's so much. Pelvic inflammatory disease, cysts, yeah. you know. And then after that, you may decide to practice as a general OBGYN and do kind of a little bit of everything, which Mm -hmm. is what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I'm not the expert expert in everything, but I know a little bit about everything and can handle a lot of the basic stuff. But you also do surgery because when you said like, Adrian, I'm going to do your surgery, I was thinking, what? (laughs) Isn't someone else going to do that? Like, and I feel so bad, but I was like, you know, I thought you just did like office visits. Mm-hmm. And you did, I, I knew that you would do, you know, sonograms and pap smears and place IUDs. I didn't know you were actually going to be the surgeon too. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. Yeah. So people don't, a lot of people don't realize when they go to their gynecologist, you know, if they are an OBGYN MD. Yeah. They're doing it um, all. You know, we do the bread and butter OBGYN. We do C-sections. We do hysterectomies. We do mm. hysteroscopies. You know, we manage complications. We you know, but then we refer to specialists when yeah, we need to. So right. you can go on to get subspecialty training in something like um, gynecology, oncology. So then there are people that go on to do four more years of Man. fellowship training where 
you know, you'd be a specialist in gynecology cancer. Yeah. Um, Which is a big thing, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or a specialist in um, uh, urogynecology. So things like um, incontinence and prolapse. Um, There's like so that. many things. And I, I'm going to be serious. <laughs> Part of me is like, I don't want to hear about all the things. <laughs> I'm going to get all the things. I feel like I'm always just like very prone to getting everything. So I'm like, I don't want to talk about prolapse. I don't want to talk about, you know, whatever else can happen down there. Cause I swear to God, I feel like I'm always the one that's going to get it. <laughs> well, there's always treatments to talk about. So there's just so many different things. And I think about something that's kind of cool about your job too, is that you're doing something different every day. That's right? what I love about yeah, it. Yes. Like you, you can be placing it. an IUD mm-hmm. in the afternoon for me and then seeing someone that's pregnant and then doing a leap procedure mm-hmm. the next day. Like there is a yep. lot. Yeah. Yep. I don't want to sit in the office every single day and talk to patients all day long. Yeah. I want to do that one day. I want to go pushing paper. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I want to be in the office one day. I want to be in the OR another day. I want to be delivering babies on L and D running around. So, um, God, there's, that yeah. is, that's a very wide variety of things that you're exposed to every yep. week. It is. And I think about, we're going to talk more about HPV and the leap procedure and all this stuff, but I'm just like, it's so weird that you, <laughs> you, you carterized my cervix. You took the, it's yep. just so crazy. You know what I mean? I think about that. Uh, it's just, it's, it's wild. Yeah. You can't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I was there. I know. <laughs> All right. So let's kick things off. It's just, it's very, it's awesome to hear your story because I, I didn't know, but let's kick things off with, I'm dying to know, you know, a few things that you would do as an OBGYN and a few things that you would never do. I have a feeling I know one of them never douche, but we'll go there. But oh, yes. Um, so what are some things that you would do and or that you do do as an OBGYN? So um, these are things definitely took a lot, a lot of thinking. And I actually reached out to some of my friends for yeah. residency because we've got a good group of girls that I went to residency with that we still talk. And there were definitely some themes. So trying to kind of condense it down. I think the most important thing is uh, communicate with your gynecologist. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, we're there to be your advocate. We're mm-hmm. there to help. We would not do all of these things. You know, we would not stay up all night. We would not go through all this training. We would not work late nights just because we didn't care. So we're there to help. Be honest with us. You know, tell us about things that you're concerned about. Tell us about problems you're having. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's a red flag that we need to know about. Maybe it's not normal. Mm -hmm. Maybe it means we need to rule something else out. Maybe there's a treatment and you don't have to suffer with this. Yeah. Um, Now, maybe that treatment's not what you want to do and you're not interested and then that's fine. But at least you know it's a thing that's out there. Mm -hmm. That's a really good tip, communication. And that's one of the reasons why I love you so Mm -hmm. much as my doctor because I'm so comfortable talking with you. And we'll talk in this episode about issues that I've had because I feel like sharing I know there's women out there that have probably experienced the same thing, but that they're scared to talk about. And I'm, I'm not, I'm here Mm -hmm. to say, you know, speak about it with your doctor. Mm -hmm. And even when I told you, like I'm in the lifestyle and, uh, it's something to talk about because I have multiple sexual partners and, um, putting it all out there is key Mm -hmm. for sure. Yep. And we care, you know, we want to keep you safe. That's our job. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guarantee you, we've heard it before. Uh, Right. right. We're not there to judge you. We're, you know, we're there to keep you safe. So Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see. So things like painful sex, heavy periods, you know, um, incontinence, those are things we can, you know, we want to know about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then along those same lines, you know, let us know if, if you're scared of the exam, if you have painful exams, if you've had bad experiences, if you have a history of trauma, 
tell us, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not there to torture you. Yeah. We want to know, you know, I, I always appreciate when a patient tells me, hey, I have a history of trauma, you know. Okay, great. Tell me how can I make this easier for yeah. you? You know, mm-hmm. t- um, and we hope to be sensitive with everybody, and we hope to be gentle and kind with everybody. But it it, it really does help us when somebody gives us that heads up, and then we can take that little extra time or that little extra care yeah. sensitivity. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of patients that do give me that. Let me ask you up. a question: When the fuck are they gonna <laughs> put us under or give us something, some coding, Tylenol? I don't know for the IUD placement. Oh my god, that is so barbaric. I'm sorry, it yeah. is. It just is. Like, can yeah. we can we like push that up to the like? Can we talk to the person that's in charge and be like, can we please help? Like. Getting an IED place is no joke. That's why I asked you when I got put under. Mm-hmm. I was like, can you please just give me a new IUD? Yep. Because I don't want to do that when I'm awake. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, there are a couple things we can try for that. So first of all, if that cervix has been dilated mm-hmm. uh, right. recently, like if you've had a baby recently, it tends to be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women, I've actually had patients tell me, oh, you put it in. <laughs> it's funny you say that because after I had my daughter, I got an yep. IUD. Dr. Rebka placed an IUD and I went to the gym after. Yep. The second one I had, I sweat through my shirt yep. and was like, felt like I was in labor. Yeah. And uh, yes. So that's a big thing. So it's actually something we've studied as a, as a, you know, cra- pra- not a practice, but a specialty, you know, what can we do for pain? And and there's a couple different things we can try. One is called a side attack, which is a prostaglandin similar to, you know, helping you start your labor mm. um, that softens the cervix. There's actually been a lot of studies on whether that helps or not, and the data is kind of mixed. But the way I'd say me and a lot of my colleagues feel about it is, you know, if it doesn't hurt, why not try it? Because it yeah. probably does help for some women. Um, and I think it does. So it's a medication. You'd, you'd put it in your serv- in your vagina like the night before or the morning oh, of, something like that. This is good to and know. And it can yeah. cause some cramping, sometimes some bleeding, so not everyone loves that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think it does make the cervix a little softer, a little easier to go in. So that's yeah. one thing I usually offer my patients unless they've had a recent baby. Yeah. Um, the other thing that some sometimes we do is a something called a paracervical block, which has also been studied. And again, the evidence is kind of mixed whether it helps or not. Um but we basically inject uh, numbing medicine, so mm. like lidocaine, around your cervix um, before we place it. Oof. So <laughs> I don't tend to do that because, yeah. you know, again, at I'm that point, I would just about, rather get it done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we think that that may be just as painful as putting it in. So Ugh. again, if it's not going to, if it's not shown to really help and mm-hmm. it could cause harm, so additional pain, then I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's always an option, you know, that some people swear helps. Mm-hmm. Um, so some docs out there do it. Um, the other thing we sometimes offer patients is, you know, take something before you come. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Dr. V. I, <laughs> I told Katina before I was like, girl, I'm taking a half Percocet. Mm-hmm. I took a half Percocet before I came in yeah. my last time I got one in. I luckily was able to have, you know, have the new one put in during my yeah. surgery, which by the way, I've had no period. That's great. Like spotting like once a month. Oh, God bless the IUD. Yeah. But um, yeah. Oh no, I was doing that. So anyway, all right. Sorry to sidetrack you. No, Back to fine. things you would do as an OBGYN. Because um, <laughs> I think see. it's important. Oh, yeah. So along those lines with communication, I think the last point I had here on my notes, um, if things aren't going right, come back, follow up. Yeah. You know, if if you're concerned about something and we start you down a treatment road, if we don't hear from you, we assume it's going okay. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to blow you off. You know, we're assuming that it's going okay. And if it's not, then come back, mm-hmm. you know, and we can't always fix everything in one visit. Sometimes... 
we have to try a few things. So, yeah. and, and that's why we're there. We're there to create that relationship. We're there to work with you. Not everything works with for everybody. So um, I'm always preaching yeah. in the lifestyle and in general, use your motherfucking words, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and then um, let's see, next thing, make, make health a priority. So I can't tell you how many patients I see, um, you know, they're busy. Everyone's mm-hmm. busy and people are busier now than they ever have been. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, and as somebody who's busy myself, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, but knowing everything I know, you know, health is so important and you just can't push it. Mm-hmm. Um, now is the time to exercise, make it a priority, take care of your mental health, see mm-hmm. a counselor. Everyone needs a counselor. Yes. Um, everyone needs to exercise. Um, everyone needs to be active, mm-hmm. eat healthy, um, get your screening tests, you know, yes. your pap smears, the pap your mammograms, smears. Yes. and we'll talk about that, I think, yeah. more. Um, and then follow up on the abnormal results, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you had an abnormal result. Don't don't give it two or three years before you come back because mm-hmm. you were busy. Because mm-hmm. um, I see that all the time. And your health is not your priority until something goes wrong. And right. then you have nothing, you know. It's better to be proactive than reactive. Absolutely. And sure. it's easier for us to keep you healthy than to yeah. fix a problem. Yeah. So I can't tell you, you know, seeing so many patients who do have issues with their health, you know, how... I can't tell you enough how much of a blessing health is. And mm-hmm. if you don't have it, then you really can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take a priority if you don't give it a priority. Especially with getting, and I think we'll talk a lot about pap smears because they are so important. Getting your pap smear, I mean, that is that is literally what prevents cancer, yep. right? Cervical cancer. Like what, 99% of it is that pap smear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. And then um, in terms of, you know, be honest, be safe. So safe sex. Be really open and honest with your partners. I see a lot of patients that, for whatever reason, want to keep stuff from their partners. Mm. Um, And again, that's not my business. That's not my place. Mm -hmm. I do encourage them to have a conversation. But if if there's somebody that you trust enough to have sex with them, then hopefully there's somebody that you can be open and honest with um, and safe with. Um, That is so huge. Yeah. So be honest with them. (laughs) Yes. Use, Use condoms. And then, and technically we're supposed to be using dental dams too. You know, which everyone's like, what is that? I heard about that in high school, like in my sex ed class. Does anyone actually do that? So I don't use dental dams. No, I'd say, I'd say I can't say I've ever had a patient that told me they did. So <laughs> where would you even get a dental dam? Good for question. Real? Um, you can get them online. Okay. Or online. you can right. make them out of a condom. We so cut a condom in half? You cut the tip and the roll off the end of the condom and then you cut it down the middle oh. and then it becomes, it's just a barrier. That's all it is. So, I can't say um, I'm doing that. I cannot. A lot of people are not. Um, okay. You're not alone. So it's funny. Let's talk about that because condoms are are such a big thing, mm-hmm. and you know, safe sex and in the lifestyle, especially. But I actually talked with one of I spoke with one of my friends, and I said, you know, we're we're sucking dick, right? And then we're kissing, and then they're eating us out, and then we're kissing. Especially when I when I got HPV and stuff, I was like, all of that. Is it's happening? It's all going on. Like if I, if you go go down on me, and then we make out, and then I suck your dick, it's transferable, right? Yep. Um, and it's something you don't think about. I think oral sex is definitely neglected when it comes to safe sex. And I have been in the position where, especially if someone's like, there's pre cum, right? And like that carries all of the STDs, and so it's it's a lot to think about. Yeah. And we could talk about STDs a little more too, but, um, you know, some STDs are trans or we call them STIs now. 
Okay. Yeah, sexually transmitted infections. Infections. Right, right, right. Because the disease part kind of sounds like a stigma. But, it does. Um, at least in the professional world, that's what we're trying to call them these okay. days. Um, but yeah, some are transmitted more by secretions. Mm-hmm. So things like semen and, and vaginal secretions, saliva. Some are transmitted more by just skin. HPV, skin to skin. Yep, so HPV, herpes, mm-hmm. those are more skin, mucosa mm-hmm. um, transmission. So they're both a little bit different. And condoms work better for some than for others. Yeah. So condoms tend to work better for the uh, disease, the infections. Mm-hmm. Sorry. See, everyone yeah. calls them that. <laughs> um, the infections uh, that are spread by more the mu- the secretions. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Um, it's a lot you know what though i have conversations with my partners how often do you get tested when was the last time you get tested show me your tests mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. know yep and i think so i think a combination of all those things is is how you protect yourself right mm-hmm. so condoms as much as you can or barriers mm-hmm. and then limiting your partners so even oof, if it's not oof. well <laughs> but you can me. but you don't realize that you are so, no i am you know yeah, if yeah. you're you're if you have a new partner, you're you're screening and mm-hmm. and the partners, even if there's a pool of partners, yeah. you know, they're all getting regularly screened. Right. Hopefully they're keeping it relatively within the pool. Yeah. You know, so even if it's a pool, it's at least better than, you know, random people. Right. Um, the lifestyle is. Yeah. I mean, it is so safe sex is what it's all about. So for sure. Testing, while it's not everything. as safe as being with one monogamous partner, it's still safer than. Yes. You know, you're you're making it as safe as possible by mm-hmm. by keeping it in a pool. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does, definitely. And then regular regular uh STI screening, um getting your HPV vaccine, washing sex toys and or using condoms with them if you're going to share them especially. Mm. And then so that was what number 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what other things would you definitely do as um, a <laughs> So number 3 is easy. Take contraception seriously. Oh yeah. Especially in this climate. Mm. I can't tell you how many patients I see who are who think they can't get pregnant and then oops. Mm-hmm. Or um we well, you know they call people that say they just pull out parents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising how many people rely on that. And that's fine as long as it's okay if it doesn't work. Mm. You know? So it's all about how much you want to avoid pregnancy. So if if, if it's okay to get pregnant, then fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you can't get pregnant, then please use really good contraception yeah. and take it seriously. And don't believe any anyone who tells you that you can't get pregnant. I can't mm. tell you how many patients who tell me, oh, well, somebody said I had endometriosis, so I can't get pregnant. And now, oops, here I am. Or yeah. somebody said I had PCOS and I can't get pregnant. And oops, here I am. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If you have a uterus and ovaries and tubes that go between them, then probably there is some way that you could the get The odds pregnant. are in your, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so take that seriously. Yes, that's a good um, one. And then pay attention to your periods, mm-hmm. you know, your menstrual cycles. That a lot of people don't realize that there is a beautiful symphony of hormones in your body, um, your brain, your ovaries, your pituitary gland. It's all communicating in this beautiful symphony. And that ultimately every month has a, causes a period. Mm-hmm. And if that's not going right, then there may be something going on. And talk you know, to your doctor about talk it. Talk to your doctor. So, you know, if your periods are spacing out, if they're too frequent, if if there's abnormal super bleeding, heavy. Yeah. yeah, super heavy, um, you know, you're skipping periods. There's something going on. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's a it's a vital sign. Yeah, we, we call it the the extra vital sign. Um, you know, just like your heart rate, your temperature, yeah. your blood pressure, your periods ultimately telling you 
Something's um, going on. Yeah. Some, you know, what's going on with your body? So fun fact, I did not know what your body really goes through until I decided to try to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I bought this book. It's called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. You ever heard about it? Not that one in particular. It's no. by Tony yeah. Weschler. I swear to God, if you touch that book, you're going to get pregnant. Okay. <laughs> so like, this is a thing you might want to share with your patients. But I did what's called charting. Mm-hmm. So you take your basal temperature mm-hmm. in the morning. Love it. And then the biggest thing is that cervical fluid. I had yep. no idea. And I know several women right now are going to be shocked by this. But here's what it was for me. Sometimes you would go to the bathroom and you wipe and you're like, am I like, like, what's going on? It's so wet. And mucousy, like what is going on? And that's your, you're ovulating, mm-hmm. right? Like your cervical fluid has that like stretch. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea about that. And then further, I didn't know that your cervix actually regresses. Like it goes up mm-hmm. and it opens up in mm-hmm. order to have a baby. And so sometimes that can be painful during that. I had no idea about that. So it is true. Every to 28 to 30 days, you're going through that hormonal cycle mm-hmm. you know it's called a cycle i guess for a reason yep. yeah yeah i didn't i had no clue about that yeah. none but now i do and i will tell you if something's wrong you know i'm gonna tell you yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a really good tip though if something's off with that that's a that is that's a vital sign mm-hmm. 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 and it might be something as you know simple as you know you sometimes we see as women get overweight their periods start doing funny stuff and Mm -hmm. that's a sign that it's affecting your hormones and that it's affecting your body. Um, or you're under too much stress. Yeah. You're not exercising enough. You're, you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. You know, um, but, and now that would be after you rule out all the other stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be dangerous, but, um, that's a good one. It's a sign. Pay attention Um, to that. And then the last do I have is be nice to your pelvic floor. What does that mean? So your pelvic floor. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so your pelvic floor is the collection of muscles that is kind of, you know, your um, your perineum, you know, where, you know, the bottom basically between your legs. Mm-hmm. And so um, people talk about things like prolapse. Yeah. Um, what does that continence. mean? So, so as we get older and under more stress and you know, physical stress, usually the, the, um, just like we get sagging skin everywhere, you know, we get wrinkles, we get bags under our eyes, all that, the vaginal tissue and the pelvic floor can get weak as well. Hmm. And so a lot of that is genetic. So there is a lot that's not in our control. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean to scare people, but (laughs) yeah, I'm like, oh my God, is my vagina going to fall out? (laughs) But, um, so a lot of it's genetic, but there are things that we do have control over in terms of trying not to make things worse. So Things like straining with constipation all the time. That's not Ooh, good for you. Uh-oh. That just adds more and more pressure to that pelvic floor and helps try to make prolapse worse over time. Mm. Um, smoking is probably one of the worst things that you can do for your health in general, and people have no idea all the bad things it does. Mm. Maybe I should add that to my don't list. Yeah. But, um, don't smoke. You know, mm. it makes that stuff worse. Um uh, things like that. I'd say the chronic constipation is the biggest thing that you so can like pushing. Try to avoid. All the pushing. Oh yep. my god. Yep. So okay. keep it soft and moving. Don't, I don't do that, but I know people who do, and I yep. know she's listening right now. And she's yep. it's this funny story because I'm always like, it's it's an inside joke, Katina. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but oh my god, yeah, pushing like that. That's bad. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. So since I've had a baby, when I'm doing Katina and I joke about it, when I'm doing jumping jacks mm-hmm. or like. You're in the thing. You're like doing like the mm-hmm. like ab lifts. I'm peeing. Yeah. Like what is that? Is that that is stress urinary incontinence, and Ugh. that is. Or I'll laugh. 
or sneeze yep. and yep. I'll pee. Very common. Ugh. Very common. Is that a sign of a prolapse? No. It's, okay. So it's not a sign of a prolapse, but it is a sign that that pelvic floor has been affected. Ooh, usually, okay. usually it can happen. Um, it's more common as we get older. It's more common after we have babies and yeah. pregnancies. And yeah. by the way, it doesn't matter if you have a vaginal or a C-section. Oh, that's good to know. Because okay. pregnancy itself can cause that. Um, but a lot of it's genetic and, and actually um, pelvic floor, you know, training those pelvic floor muscles mm-hmm. can help quite a bit with that. So I've been doing Pilates, mm-hmm. like pelvic floor and deep core exercises. Does that really help? It yes. really does. Okay. Yes. Good to know. Um, and Kegels. That's one of my yep. questions. Yep. Kegels really work? They do. Okay. So you're, so Kegels will really help strengthen those muscles. Um, they won't help with the t- tissue laxity. That's mm-hmm. mostly genetic and age-related, but it can help strengthen the muscles, which helps keep from making it worse and helps correct the symptoms. By the way, is... fun fact, I like to play a little game sometimes when I'm having sex. So I'll be like, I'll be like, pull out and I'll squeeze as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, oh, I like that. And I'm like, yeah, you do. And then I'll like, let it go. That's like a form of like Kegel exercises during sex. Sure is. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting them in then. You are. <laughs> and, and there is actually such a thing as pelvic floor physical therapy. Oh, okay. So if, Doing Kegels on your own is not enough or you don't know how, you know, some people, their muscles are actually weak enough that they can't even do them. Mm. So you need a a specialist to help with that. Mm. But be kind to your pelvic floor. Okay. So don't push. All right. Don't push. I mean, push to have a baby, but that's like, you know, you're not doing that all day. Get that squatty potty thing. That might help. Yeah. Yeah. So don't push. And, um, you know, when you go to pee too, we're all in a hurry. But just Ooh, sit there and relax and let it go. I'm guilty yeah, of that. Everyone is. Oh my god! You know, I joke around and I say that when, when women pee, it sounds like they're frying chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if I disturb your peace in the bathroom, but I swear to God, when you're peeing, it sounds like you're frying chicken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good to know. I'm gonna start thinking about that now. All right, so what are some things that you would never do as a gynecologist? Okay. So douching. That's definitely one douching. that mm-hmm. uh, is at the top of my list and, again, was a theme with all of my colleagues. So um, It just throws everything off. Yeah, so the vagina is a complex place with a, a collection of normal bacteria mm-hmm. that do normal things. And the more you kind of try to clean out that normal bacteria, the more you throw things off. Oh, okay. So douching uh, is not a good idea. We know that it increases the risk of bacterial vaginosis, um, which I, hate, I know we'll talk about. I know, and I hate BV. I, yeah, I have, I have a, yeah. lo- I, I have a very bad relationship with BV. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, <laughs> and then on that same vein, you know, mis- minimize irritants to your vagina and your vulva. So, so do you use soap down there? Some women can and have no issues. You you shouldn't ever use anything inside the vagina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For cleaning. Um, I usually tell patients, especially most of them are coming with, you know, issues with irritation and stuff, but mm-hmm. war, you know, not even hot water, just warm water in your fingers, you know, mm-hmm. no friction, no, no washcloth, no loofah, no scented soaps, mm-hmm. nothing special down there. Just you don't even minimize, need it. Yeah. you know, it's, it's a self-cleaning oven. So, okay. you know, um, yeah. So, and, and it's the most sensitive place in your body. So mm-hmm. it's going to get easily irritated. So, um, and then my, my second don't would be contaminating your vagina. So, um, what do you mean by that? And your urethra. So, the urethra is where your pee comes out, mm-hmm. and that goes directly to the bladder, mm-hmm. which should should be a sterile area, meaning no bacteria. Remember, the vagina has all this healthy bacteria, mm-hmm. and then right next door is your rectum and your anus, mm-hmm. which has your poop, 
And that's where um, there's normal healthy bacteria there too. But those are different bacteria. Right. So what you want to avoid is um, the bacteria from your rectum and your anus coming into contact with your vagina and urethra. Oh, dear. So that's why we always tell women, you know, wipe from front to back. You know, when you wipe your pee, so front to back. Um, Try not to get the poop in the vagina area. Mm -hmm. Um, But same thing when you're using sex toys or having sex. So I was going to say, what if if a guy, like, fingers your butt and -hmm. then fingers your vagina? That's bad. I would not appreciate that as an OBGYN, no. Okay. <laughs> what about like even, okay, we're getting, listen, no, I'm, I'm yeah, eating I'm, ass, eating pussy. You can't do it. You need right. to take a break. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure people do it and I'm sure they do okay. Yeah. But I would, if I were an OBGYN, I would not feel cool about that. Oh, okay. I would be like, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to either okay. change your condom or, you know, use, protect, do some kind of barrier and change yeah. it or just go the other direction. <laughs> So vagina, vagina, the, the anal, anus, yeah, sure, okay, okay. These, this is good to know. Yeah. Okay, I'm sitting here thinking of like all these instances. <laughs> oh my god. Again, I'm dabbling I'm, in the anal world. Yeah, so again, like, many yeah. many women probably do it and do fine. Yeah. But those are my thoughts. As okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, good um, tips. Good tips. And then <laughs> this should be obvious, but talking to my friends and colleagues kind of getting inspiration for this. Don't put anything in your vagina that's going to hurt you. Yeah. So sharp things, things that can break and become sharp. Ooh. You know, I've we've seen, I've seen some stuff like that. My colleagues have seen that, you know, people end up in the ER with tears and cuts and, yeah. you know, and it never, uh, and then it always seems like, duh, I shouldn't have done that. But so I, I, t- I, have, do it. I have something to share. So Pawn Star, who was my fuck buddy for like 10 years through college or whatever, his kink was inserting different objects mm-hmm. in, inside of me. So like cucumbers mm-hmm. or hairspray bottles or and I just think to myself, this is not really natural. Uh, probably shouldn't have done that. Well, <laughs> you know, some of those things are probably more likely to cause injury than others. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I wouldn't be as concerned about cucumbers and. Or- <laughs> You know, even hairspray bottles, maybe, but um, like, anything with sharp edges or yeah, glass, you yeah. know, maybe not. Sharp I have had a, some... I have had a beer bottle inside because yeah. yeah. that was his thing. Yeah. Okay. Good. And that okay. sounds. Like it can you're happen with fire there. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. All right. It's a very <laughs> bad va- girl. Bad a, bad girl. It's a very vascular area, meaning there's a lot yeah. of blood flow. So when it when you get cut down there, it bleeds quite a lot. Oof. Okay. Yeah. Luckily, that never happened, but okay. Well, good. Good to know. <laughs> I just want to say there are kinks out there, there that are. involve that. So, yep. and okay. as long and you know, if you do great, then that's great. But we've we've seen it. Yes. So it happens. And then don't worry how your vagina or your vulva looks. You know, I think so many women are self conscious. Yeah. And actually, a lot of young girls are self conscious, and it breaks my heart so much. But so yeah. let's be honest, though. Like when you, so when I come to you. I literally, I'll be at work. If my appointment's at like two, I will come home. I will spray like bidet out all of it and then be like, all right, I'm good. And I'll make sure, like, I don't like to be clean shaven, but I'm like, let me have like two, three days. I used to wax. I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. I just don't have time for it. And so I'm like, let me just make sure I'm like, I don't know. I am conscious about that though. I think everyone is, but you don't care. No. Okay. Again, we're full bush. You just don't care. No, (laughs) no, no. I will say, um. 
when there's a lot of hair, it might make it harder for us to really see the skin, mm-hmm. um, in which case it might be easier to miss some kind of yeah. you know, issue there. But um, but other than that, we don't care. Okay. Yeah. We, we do all kinds of stuff. We are interested in much more than that area. We've seen everyone's vagina and vulva looks different. Yeah. We've seen it all. And Let's, you know, it's anatomy. There you is know? so many different types of vaginas. There is. Yep. I mean, I've watched a lot of porn, so I've seen a lot. And um, even being in the rooms with my lifestyle friends and stuff, like everyone looks different for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a lot of women are self-conscious about like, you know, they have vaginal rejuvenation and yeah. they'll have like long labias or whatever. Um, I've always been, I've always like, oh, thank God. Because like I used yeah. to work for a plastic surgeon who used to do that. And I'm like, thank God I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. But I mean, it doesn't matter. It's, if, it's, if it's not painful, it doesn't bother you. Right. It's, some, it doesn't matter. Some women, it does bother them for, like physically. Like hanging for out. For some yeah. reason, like it's irritated or, yeah. or something. But but I'd say in, in general, most most of the time it's just you know, people are self-conscious about it. And, yeah. and that, like I said, that breaks my heart. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, everyone looks so different and they all are functional pieces of anatomy. Yeah. And, and actually there's erectile tissue in a lot of the labia that people don't really realize, you know, and you're mm. now, you're now cutting that area. And, you know, oh, right. Yeah. If you're doing plastic surgery and, and putting yourself at risk of injuries and mm. poor healing, which I've seen that too. Oh, man. Um, you know, and pain with sex and, and like, why? I don't, it just, it just, you know, makes me sad, especially young girls. Yeah. It does make you feel good that you don't care because I'm always so self-conscious. I'm always like, oh my God, I got to go down. I got to, you know. (laughs) Nope. We don't care. (laughs) You're like, I've seen it all. (laughs) Oh my God. I have a question about some of the things you've seen. We'll get to that later. (laughs) All right. So do you have any more don'ts that you would just never do? Um, the only other one I had was about, again, smoking. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I know that's so hard and most people probably don't want to smoke, but mm-hmm. um, don't start if you haven't started because so many bad things about smoking. And, and again, I think as kids, we were kind of sold this smoking lung cancer association, yeah. but it's so much more than that. Mm. So knowing everything I know, I would never do that and I've never let my kids do that. Yeah. Um, and then as you get older, you know, a lot of women do stop having sex for various reasons. Um, so my, my last don't would be don't stop having sex. You know, Um, I love, I love that. I love that. I love that. Don't come, come find us and we will help you and we will work with you. And, um, once you stop it, it, as you get older and past menopause and further past menopause, it can be harder to kind of start again. So, um, we know that actually regular sex after menopause can help keep the tissue healthier and more open to sex. And so, um, that's great to know so use it or lose it exactly you know? yeah so i'm all about using it so <laughs> i'm gonna have i will have no problems with that that's a great that's a great uh do have yeah. sex mm-hmm. yeah also i just feel like having sex just makes everything better it yeah. just does it just yeah. it creates the connection with you and your partner it relieves it's a natural stress reliever i feel like the world would be a much happier place that's why i'm out here promoting it mm-hmm. you know use sex toys masturbate have orgasms yep. it just it makes everything better and actually as women get older um as couples get older there's lots of different ways to be sexual without penetration so yeah. there's there's a lot of issues both male and female mm-hmm. as we get older that can make that harder but yeah. a lot of my patients do continue to have great sex lives even without that yeah that's it's incredibly true all right so thank you for sharing all those do's and don'ts they are amazing but let's talk about HPV really quick. Cause I just went through that with you 
And it was, I felt like it was a lot for me, you know, to get the leap procedure and to recover from that and all that stuff. But what I really want to talk about is how prevalent HPV is. It's out there. You know, I mean, how many, what would do you say? Like at least, I mean, I'm sure several times a week, women get back abnormal paps. Oh yes. Yeah. So, um, abnormal paps are really common and actually our current guidelines say not even to do paps before 21 mm. because in younger women, especially, um, we see it very commonly and we actually, and, and actually, so we don't even do start paps until 21. We don't even start HPV testing until 30. What? Because before 30, we just assume that everyone gets it. So if you're sexually active, we kind of assume you're going to get it. We don't even care Whoa. unless it causes an abnormal pap or sticks around until you're older. <gasps> so when we're young, our immune systems are yeah. strong and mm-hmm. we're getting rid of it faster. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, it hasn't been able to stick around as long because we just haven't been around as long. Yeah. But as we get older, our immune systems are not clearing it as well. And it's more likely that's been around a little longer. And then that's when we start kind of wondering if it's there. Well, um, also women in their twenties are getting the HPV vaccine. Right. Which is, yeah, that's, that's, that's a new thing, by the way, mm-hmm. my generation missed that. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things that I loved and learned from you was you were like, Adrian, get the HPV vaccine. And I remember I looked at you and I was like, but I have HPV. And you're like, yeah, one strain mm-hmm. there's, I think 114 strains out there. I think 16 or 18 are like cancer causing types. Mm -hmm. I forget the number, but, and that vaccine prevents it and men can get it too. Yep. Yeah. So someone had said to me, Dr. V, they said, my doctor said, I don't need it. Mm-hmm. What would you say to, I, I said, go somewhere else. Like yeah. if you're sexually active, you have multiple partners. I feel like you should get it. Yeah, so our official guidance from the CDC is basically that it's recommended up to 26 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, it's approved up to age 45 or 46. I'd have to double check. And of course, I forgot. I'm sorry. Up to that, it says talk to your doctor. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason for that is from a public health standpoint, it may or may not be cost effective. So if we were giving it to every you know, 40-year-old, it's probably not as cost effective as if we were giving it to every 20-year-old. Mm. Um, from a public health standpoint, you know, health prevention. You right. Know, Not everyone needs it. Right. right. But again, that's why they say talk to your doctor. Yeah. So, um, you know, someone who's having multiple sex par- sexual partners or, you know, you're in a new relationship mm-hmm. or you are in the dating pool again, you know, those are great times to get the HPV vaccine if you haven't already. Yeah. I've um, I've had plenty of patients who, um, you know, they're they say, oh, I don't need it. I'm you know, in a long-term, you know, marriage. I've been married 30 years, whatever. But now I've had patients that are, you know, 50s or 60s. Now they're either widowed mm-hmm. or divorced. And now they have a new partner. That or let's be honest, have, partners cheat. Correct. I've right. seen that too. Mm-hmm. Partners cheat. Yeah. And, and now they have, you know, now somebody has a new strain of HPV. Mm-hmm. Now you have an abnormal pap. Now you need a leap. And wouldn't it have been nice if we could avoid all of that? Yes. Agreed. So when you have women who, I'm so curious because I had this procedure, are most of the women that you give leap procedures to in their thirties and forties, like, is that the age group that they're in that who, those who need it? I, I do leaps on women of all ages, actually. So Mm. I've had girls in their twenties and thirties, um, that just had high grade paps that stuck around. Um, I've had women in their sixties and seventies. You know, and how many, in between. I have a question because I'm curious because I just had a leap. I will see you again in a few months and we'll do another pap. If that comes back abnormal, what what do we do now? 
What do we do next? It depends on how abnormal. So um, if it's LCIL or yep, H, yeah. Yep. In general, the, the general principles are that if it's high grade changes, mm-hmm. they're less likely to regress more and more a little more likely to stick around. Yeah. Become cancer than those we um tend to treat. God, would I get another leap? We do sometimes do another leap procedure, yep. Ugh. And um and actually some women end up with hysterectomies. For that really? Mm-hmm. So if so if let's say I God, I hope I don't, but let's say I did go down that track, would I get a full hysterectomy or a partial hysterectomy? So that's not necessarily a term that we use in the medical world. Okay. Um because it's kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of patients do kind of talk about it that way. And and what I think you're referring to is meaning leaving the ovaries behind. Yeah. So in general, uh we would leave the ovaries behind because they're not they're not bothering anybody. Yeah. You know, we just want your <laughs> cervix out of there. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd take your cervix and the uterus that's connected to it. Okay. And and leave the um basically when we're doing a leap procedure, we're taking a part of the cervix. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if, if you needed an aggressive leap procedure, you know, it's your second or third or whatever. Mm-hmm. We kind of take more and more of the cervix. Yeah. But at some point, you know, we gotta take the rest of it too. Yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking, if this does happen to me. Do I have the option just to go hysterectomy or do, do would you recommend another leap? Usually it depends on the pathology. It depends on okay. a lot of things. But um, in general, I would err toward the leap first if I thought it was okay. appropriate just because it's such a, I mean, you saw it's, it it's, wasn't that bad. It's an outpatient procedure. It is. You know, yeah. And the recovery is not that bad. You, you know, a hysterectomy is a little bigger procedure. Ooh, is more there a downtime. lot? It is. Oh, um, bleeding. Lots know. of, is there bleeding? Like what's. Well, higher risk of bleeding in the surgery. Um, okay. But. Is there aftermath bleeding with the hysterectomy? Much. Okay. Not as much. Well, because there's nothing yeah. there, right? Yeah. Hopefully there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel, let me ask you a question. This sounds crazy. Do you feel some sort of way taking that out of a woman? Like, does that feel weird? Um, I mean, I've had women feel all different ways about it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it's just my job. It's like what I do every day. So it doesn't make me feel any kind of way usually, but. And then um, what does the vagina feel like? Like, do you just, you just take the cervix out and you close it. So mm -hmm. it's it's a dead end. Yep. It's called the vaginal cuff. So it's like. Is is the, is, is he going to feel that? I don't know. You know, it depends on the woman. Everyone's a little different, but Mm -hmm. um, in general, the way the cervix is a lot of women, a lot of times, you don't necessarily feel the cervix when you have penetration anyway. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like, I don't know. Interesting. Um, no one, see, no one guy, talks about so, this yeah. and no one talks about it. Yeah. Yep. But, but when I were to, if I were to do an exam, I, it usually takes a little work to feel the cervix. Um, although it depends on the woman. Yeah. Everyone's vagina is a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have longer vaginas. Some people have shorter vaginas. Mm. Some people, it's really hard to find the cervix and feel it. Some women, really? Um, which I imagine a penis would have just as much trouble. <laughs> Um, <laughs> getting up there and yeah, finding it. Yeah, but then some women, the cervix is right there. So I feel like my cervix is right there. Men always talk about the strings, like they uh, can yes. tell. Yeah. Some some guys, yeah. yeah. And again, that's all anatomy too. So wild, Ugh, and it's everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully my HPV regresses. I'm doing all the right things. I'm taking mm-hmm. the pills. I got mm-hmm. the shot. I'm doing all these things. I'm hoping that like I have a, a, a normal. Pap, that'd be great. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we see that commonly. So I'm yeah. optimistic. Prayers up, prayers up. <laughs> and I'm still laughing about the fact that I went into my exam and I was like, can you take a picture? <laughs> I was like, what does it look like up there? And it was, it was just like a burn victim. Like, oh my God. <laughs> You're like, this is normal. Everything's healing fine. I'm like, Ugh. oh my God, it's terrible. Um, but I will say this. I'm glad I did it. Right. Like got mm-hmm. rid of th- that prevents me from getting cancer. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And that shit 
you can die, right? And then also, it really wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. It I'm was, glad to hear that. and no after effects. Like I was so nervous about that. Will it impact my orgasms? Will it impact sex? Will it hurt or whatever? I've had zero. It feels the same, exactly the same. So good to know. That's great to hear. Yes. <laughs> you did an amazing job. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about pap smears really quick. And I'm wondering, because I have a lot of different friends that say different things. Is it one year or three years? I know for me, it's one year because I have HPV, but like, what is the rule now? Yeah. So it, the answer is it depends on okay. your history. Right. Right. So um, our current guidelines uh, let, tell us to start at 21 and then if your pap is totally normal and let's say you have a history of all normal paps and everything, mm-hmm. then typically we do the pap every three years. Okay. A lot of people are confused about a pap, the difference between a pap smear and a, a pelvic exam. So every time we use our speculum, that's the tool that we use to look inside the vagina and see mm-hmm. the cervix. Um, every time we use that, you know, we're, we're looking in the vagina, we're looking at the cervix. Uh, we're not necessarily doing a pap smear. Yeah. So I have a lot of patients that are confused and think that every time we do that, that's a pap. And so they think that's a pap smear. Mm -hmm. The pap smear is a very specific cervical cancer screening test. Yeah. Where we actually take a brush and we brush the cervix and then send those cells off to pathology where they look under the microscope. Yeah. So typically our guidelines say we should do that every year, every three years. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. There are some docs out there that still do it every year. Mm -hmm. Um, Should you get a pelvic exam every year? And anyone reproductive age, I am of the mind that, yes, you mm-hmm. should. Um, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And there's plenty to screen for. Um, so, yes, every year, um, as women get older and further past menopause, sometimes we can space that out. And actually, that's kind of controversial in the field as mm-hmm. well. So, But anyone of reproductive age, anyone having sex, multiple partners, absolutely, every mm-hmm. year. And then mammograms is every year as well, right? Every year. If your breasts can change. And (laughs) you do self-breast exams. I feel like we kind of miss talking. A lot of women miss talking about this. You should do Mm -hmm. self-exams. Your doctor is, like you said, like that pelvic exam, also a breast exam at that time, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's important. Um, Because I do feel like a lot of my friends that have had breast cancer, they said to me, Adrian, I had a normal mammogram. Mm -hmm. And my self-screening is what found the lump. And uh, that's important. Many, many women find their own lumps. And that's the whole reason we want you to be, we're actually calling it self-breast awareness now. Yeah. So um, the whole idea is just be familiar with your breasts. You Mm -hmm. know, don't get intimidated by the formal monthly shower circles or whatever that you've been trained to do, you know, so. Well, I have a question for you because I have dense breasts. Mm -hmm. And so like, what, what should I look for? Does any sort of change? Because mine are dense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Changes. Something that's different from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, or any pain. Is pain probably a... Pain can be a sign there's something that we need to check out, but pain is not always cancer. And mm. actually, usually, usually most breast cancers are not painful. Mm. Good to know. Yeah. I, I think it's just like looking for anything abnormal and then mm-hmm. bring it up to your doctor. Mm-hmm. That's why you should have that excellent communication channel with your doctor, for mm-hmm. sure. Yep. We see a lot of patients who, oh my gosh, I found something yesterday. Let me ask you a question. And I'm out. Dr. V, when somebody comes in, can you tell or you don't know? Like, can you, you can tell. Usually if they can feel it, I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And then I say, yep, let's check it out. Yeah. It could be benign, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Many times it is. My mom had a benign um, mm-hmm. lump removed. Yeah. Yeah. Many times it is. Yeah. That's scary for it sure. Is. But it's important. But you know what? It's better to be proactive mm-hmm. than reactive, especially when it comes to breast cancer, you know? So. Yeah. 
All right. So we talked about pap smears, annuals, when you should get them off. Um, let's talk about menopause because okay. I'm nervous about it. And I know a lot of my listeners are going through the change, what changes occur, especially how it affects hormones. And like, where do we go if we're feeling like our hormones are off? The gynecologist, mm-hmm. our primary care, what what do we do? And is menopause, I know it's this, I don't feel like it's that studied, but I know like people have personal summers and they're mm-hmm. like, my libido is gone. Mm-hmm. And so what do you... I don't know. What do you say about menopause and what do you suggest about it? Like, it's such a, I know it's a wide variety. <laughs> yeah, it's a really broad topic. And and actually, it's so hard because, you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, teaching our teenagers, like, this is what your period's going to happen. This yeah. is what's going to happen. You know, you're going to have period and you're going to have urges and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and here's right, what puberty, you do. Right. Here's puberty. Right. And then nobody tells you about menopause. You know, it's just like, see Right. Ya. It's so true. <laughs> no one talks about um, it. So nobody talks about it. And we wish we could spend, you know, 20 minutes talking about menopause, you know. And that's one reason that you come to your gynecologist yeah. every year and you develop a relationship, you know, because those patients who are starting to get their periods a little more irregular in, mm. in that age group, I do start saying, hey, these are some of the things that might start happening, you know, mm-hmm. or some of the problems some women have, you know. So. What is the first sign of menopause? Missed periods? And it's different for everybody. Yeah. So what, but what happens is as we get older, as our ovaries start, not ovulating as regularly, our estrogen levels start declining, our ovarian reserve starts dropping off because unfortunately we're born with all the eggs we're going to have ever going to have. I know, isn't that crazy? Which is crummy uh, if you're somebody who wants to have babies later anyway. You know, our estrogen levels start going down and so then our periods might start spacing out. They might start getting lighter, you know. Um, Some women start having hot flashes and night sweats and that can come along with irritability and trouble sleeping and I've heard the trouble sleeping is a real thing, yep, by the way. Yep. yep. And, uh, you know, there, some mm. women do have libido changes and mood changes, and a lot of it goes together. Um, so talk to our guy now, though. Like, you don't go to your primary care doctor? I would say it probably depends. You know, some primary care docs are probably more comfortable talking about that stuff than mm. your gynecologist, but... But even a general gynecologist should have a really good yeah. base. And then what do you do, Dr. V? Do, do you put me on a pill? Like, do you just, what do we do to yeah. fix this? If I'm having personal summers, yeah. if my sex drive goes away, yeah. my God, I can't even imagine that. But like, if it did, what what do we do? Do we get on meds? Do so we... um, there are some, first of all, there's a really wonderful resource out there called um, the North American Menopause Society. Mm-hmm. They have a wonderful website for patients. They have a whole section on sexual health. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it because there's lots of rabbit holes you can go down on the internet. There's lots, there's lots of people out there who are very happy to take your cash, yeah, check your hormone levels, sell you all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not great evidence for that. The best evidence that we have, and again, this is coming from somebody who is trained as an allopathic traditional, you know, uh, medical doctor. So I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but you know, in general, our philosophy is using um, medications as needed. So mm-hmm. we don't, we used to think, you know, let's put everyone on estrogen replacement mm-hmm. because that's what you need after menopause because your estrogen levels go down. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel better, you stop having the hot flashes, that kind of stuff. But then we found out actually it's not good for you. So mm-hmm. we found out that um, women were having a lot of issues, you know, strokes, heart attacks, Ugh. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So then we stopped using them for a while. And then, and then we said, well, wait a second. Actually, it really depends. You know, so we learned it really is very subtle differences. You know, when you start the hormones compared to 
when you went through menopause, you know, how long you were on them, what's your history, what's your dose, what type. So Mm. it's incredibly uh, complicated and subtle. So that's why I would definitely start with your gynecologist. Okay. If you're having, if you're having uh, struggles with those kind of symptoms, start with your gynecologist um, and they can best go through your history and, and, you know, talk to you about the risks and benefits and what you might qualify for. Um, But in general, it's kind of a temporary thing. Most of my patients who are kind of further past menopause, a lot of them actually love the stability, you know, so when you're in your reproductive age. Right, you're going through that cycle. Yes, yes, especially when you're getting, you know, going through the change. So the yes. worst of it tends to be while you're transitioning mm-hmm. from having periods to not having periods. So that can last a few years. And that Ugh. tends to be the worst of it. Mm. Um after that things kind of stabilize and women a lot of women are very happy with that freedom. Mm. Um a lot of women, right, by not, the way, yeah, you're not going to that mood swing. Yep, you're not, yeah. Yep. And I should, I should add that actually most women probably don't have as many issues with menopause as, as people would leave you, lead you to believe. I'd okay. say, I'd say most of my patients around that age group, they're like, you know, I'm fine. Okay. You know, have the occasional hot flash. No issue. That's you good know? to know. Yeah. But, but then some women really suffer. So it, it can really depend mm. on the person. And there's a lot of strategies that you can talk about with your gynecologist before you go on hormones. You know, yeah. there's a lot of other things to try too. So someone asked a very specific question. They said, is there a difference between synthetic or bioidentical hormones? I don't even know what bioidentical means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of the point. So um, bio, bioidentical hormones, I think it's mostly kind of a marketing thing. Like it sounds nice, mm-hmm. but, but really what it's trying to do is mimic the hormones that we have naturally. Okay. So, um, you know, it all depends on what your definition is. But in general, we think – so the short answer is no, there's not really – from what we can tell, there's not really a difference. Okay. That's um, good to know. I find in reality it ends up being insurance coverage that mm. dictates what we use. Yeah. Insurance coverage and um, convenience. So, yeah. um, you know, there's all kinds of preparations out there, just like there's all kinds of birth controls. There's yeah. all kinds of preparations. And so it tends to be, you know, what's the patient's preference for mm-hmm. method and and – um, you know, what will insurance cover? Yeah. Because unfortunately that's a major issue for a lot of women. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I was discussing with, I was telling Katina, my, I feel like medical bills and all that stuff is changing. And my leap procedure cost me like $3,000 and I have excellent coverage. Right. And I'm like, that's changing. Something's changing. Like that should not have cost me that much money for that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I got a bill the other day. It was like $982. I'm like, God damn. <laughs> it was yeah. like $83, $63, $26. And it's like, it's yeah. all out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Healthcare is definitely something I could have a lot of things to say. Yeah, about. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dr. V, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So I want to talk about this and this is like my personal question. Can we please talk about keeping it balanced down there? I know UTIs, I feel like were a thing in my 20s. I haven't had, knock on wood, one of those in a long time. Yeast infections, the same, like every now and again, but it's rare. But BV, let's talk about it. I feel I've never experienced BV like I have since I've been in the lifestyle. And I know it's because of multiple partners. What do I do? Like, do you believe in those, what are they, the... um boric acid suppositories do you believe in those do those work do those just fuck shit up more like do i come to you and get antibiotics because when i did have bv after my surgery you even you knew before i did you were like hey you have bv um what do i do help me because like i don't want to i'm so tired of dealing with it 
PD is very frustrating um, for sure. And we, I've had lots of patients that some people get it once in a while. Some yeah. people get it commonly. I hear like once you get it, I feel like it never goes away. Is it, it going to go away? Yeah. I want it to go away. It's probably more about the fact that you got it and so something caused it. And now, you know, unless you fix that thing, maybe it's going to come back. And the truth is we don't know exactly. Yeah. You know? So BV is not completely understood. So um, there's a lot we do know. There's a lot we don't. So like I was saying before, there's natural healthy bacteria in the vagina. Mm-hmm. So that's called lactobacillus. And it produces lactic acid, which is acid. Um, so the vagina is naturally an acidic place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why things like boric acid, you know, it sounds scary, but actually restoring the acidity is not a bad thing. So so that acidity that your natural lactobacillus creates, that keeps away a lot of the bad bacteria. Okay. And so it's not bad that I use a boric acid suppository every now and again. No, no. Okay. And actually that's, there's some good evidence for uh, vaginal boric acid um, okay. for women who have recurrent BV. Because I've used it and I feel like, am I just going to keep getting BV because I use this? I don't know. So anytime that you throw off the normal balance of bacteria, Mm -hmm. that's when you're kind of setting the stage for potentially getting BV. (sighs) And so it's probably a complicated balance of the fact that you're getting, you know, the, the natural pH, the natural lactobacillus, you know, that's getting disrupted. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact that maybe you're getting some strain of, you know, bad bacteria that then takes over and causes the BV. Mm -hmm. So it's probably a complex kind of play of both of those things. Um, You know, we know that women who have multiple partners, we know that they have more rates of recurrent BV. We know that... (laughs) The dreaded BV. I've I've gotten it. I've had it like three times in the last year. We know... um, And actually anything... There are things that naturally throw off the pH. You know, Mm -hmm. your period. Mm -hmm. That is blood. And blood is naturally higher uh, pH than your vagina. And so every time you have your period, you're going to throw off the pH. And so it's not necessarily abnormal to have an abnormal pH. You know, that's normal. That's every month. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, if you have a normal, healthy bacterial flora, as we call it, that should then self-correct. When you have sex... And there's semen. Mm-hmm. Semen naturally is basic to neutralize the acid. That's how the sperm gets in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it basically has to have a special coating on it to, to help it penetrate the um, acidity and survive the acidity of the vagina. So mm-hmm. that's, that's normal. So anytime you have sex and have semen in your vagina, um, that's going to throw off your pH. <sighs> so anytime yeah. you take antibiotics, now you've wiped out your good bacteria. And now you've set the stage again for... Oh, great. Because yeah. I just got off clindamycin because <laughs> I had tonsil problems again. Yeah. yeah. And so, okay, so my yeah. my pH is probably off right now. Potentially. Great. <laughs> now, and now BV is not, t- tends to not be dangerous. You know, we know it's that... It's the smell. Yeah, like, you can it's, smell it's it. It's irritating. It's, yes. it's annoying. It's, yes. Um, it, in some situations, it can cause issues. But in general, and, and actually BV, we know, can put you at higher risk of getting other STIs. Mm. So hopefully you're already preventing those, but yeah. still, you know, you would prefer not to have it. So well, you're making me feel better about using the boric acid yep. suppositories. So I'm like, am I overusing these? If I take two a week, is that a lot? Like, no, I don't so know. a lot of times for women who have like a bout of recurrent BV, you know, mm. one of the things in addition to maybe trying the antibiotics to get rid of it, um, every night for 30 days, every night, you know, just boric acid in the vagina, get rid of, and then see what happens, you know, see if that kind of helps reset things. Oh, now you can't have sex while you're doing that because you right. don't want to expose somebody Intimate, to yeah. that. Um, you know, the other thing, or maybe you just need it every time, you know, right after your period, maybe you use one to kind of reset things quicker. 
if your body's not resetting. Yeah, it. or after sex, or after use sex, one. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Condoms. We know condoms help reduce the risk. Again, you're protecting yeah. yourself from that semen mm-hmm. and you know whatever bacteria is on his skin. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the other thing is you know what's he using on his skin. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's using some kind of fancy smelly you know soap. That guys I like think to about use. that, yeah. And then they put it in your vagina. And now your vagina is irritated and angry. And yes, um, so there's some women are more sensitive than others. Again, and of course, condoms help protect you from that. In my next life, I want a penis, <laughs> a big one. <laughs> I just really do. Like, I just want to know what it's like. But then you just want to play with it all the time, <laughs> wouldn't you? But I guess they do. I totally would. I would just jerk off all day long and then I would just dip my dick in places and I would just keep going about my business. That's all you have to do. And you can pee anywhere and you can do whatever you want. And you know what? Like, let's just not even, <laughs> I tell, I tell people all the time, I'm like next life. I want to, I want a huge, I was want a huge cock. Like that's what I want. And medium sized balls. Like I don't have to have big balls. I just want medium, you know, that'd be nice. You know, if I, if I, if I'm only so lucky. <laughs> It is true, though. I would just play with it all day long. Like, (laughs) yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so I get a lot of women asking, is there something you could do to increase your sex drive? That is a complicated answer. (sighs) So um, women's sex drive and men's sex drive are incredibly different. Yeah. So and and women's sex drive is so complicated. Mm -hmm. And I actually get that question from a lot of patients as well. Um. It is, it has everything to do with, you know, how we're feeling physically, our mood, our Mm self-esteem. Are we stressed? Are we busy? Um, Our relationship. Yeah. You know, how close do we feel to this person? Um, It is incredibly complicated. And and guys are not like that. Mm -hmm. You know, just physiologically, they're different. Um, So the short answer is there's not, you know, a simple answer. Um, There is something that's called hypoactive sexuality hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Um, But that requires that you rule out everything else. Mm -hmm. The other thing is a lot of medications can have side effects that cause decreased libido or decreased enjoyment of sex. You know, antidepressants are a huge thing. Absolutely. And and who's not on that? Right. I mean, yeah. For anxiety, depression. So that's a huge factor too. When I was going through my divorce, mm -hmm. I got, for the first time ever, I experienced depression. I was one of those people that was very ignorant and said, just get over it. You know, moving. I was, I never experienced true depression Mm -hmm. until that happened. And my, my doctor was like, Hey, let's put you on some meds. I think I was on, I can't remember Lexapro. I can't remember. And I couldn't orgasm. Mm -hmm. It terrified the shit out of me. I was like, no way I can't ever take this again. Yeah. And then, and then pain plays a lot in that too. So if people start having issues with sexual pain, Mm -hmm. um, you know, now you're not wanting to do it and that it's like a cycle. It's a Mm -hmm. vicious cycle. So, Mm -hmm. um, talk to your doctor, figure it out. There are two FDA approved medications that just came out in the last several years, um, for women with hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Mm. Neither are perfect. And actually I would also argue, you know, who developed these drugs and what are they treating? And because in general, if you're not feeling like having sex, you know, and that's not bothering you, like whose problem is that? Yeah. That's, is that your problem and you're not happy with that? Or is that your man's problem mm-hmm. or your woman's problem or, mm-hmm. you know, your partner's problem, I right. should say. Right. Um, you know, whose problem is that? Because, mm-hmm. because a lot of women, I actually do get a lot yeah. of women that come to me and they say, Adrian, I wish I had your sex drive. I wish yeah. I was more like that. I wish I thought about sex more. Um, so I think people do care. And also mm-hmm. it creates that 
it's the connection between you and your mm-hmm. partner. It just is, you yeah. know. And there's a lot of reasons that people might want to continue. So it's complicated is the short mm-hmm. answer. But Talk there, to, yeah. There are some things to try. But look at your medications. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great evidence for um, spending time together and connecting. Yeah. So date nights and things like that. Yeah. Um, there's great evidence for uh, physical exercise mm-hmm. together. So, you know, get those endorphins going. Do yeah. You, there's a lot of good evidence for trying something new together, especially mm-hmm. sexually. So go to the sex shop together, pick out some toys. Ask me for watch, recommendations. Yep. <laughs> get the sex swing. Listen, do all those things. Listen to Adrian's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, watch porn together. Yeah. Go to the hotel together. By the yeah. way, one of my favorite things ever to do with a partner is to watch porn and then reenact it. Mm-hmm. Hotter than you could ever imagine. And actually people study these things mm-hmm. and there's good evidence for all of this. Yeah. There's also, uh, there is such a thing as sex therapy mm-hmm. and uh, you can find a licensed sex therapist online. Yeah. To find. That's a good tip. Go, yeah. To go look for one and it's normal. Yeah. So we talked about annual appointments and if you care if people are waxed or shit, you can care less. I know yeah. that. Okay. But I have a question. And have you ever found a condom during an exam? So I have found <laughs> the occasional retained tampon, you know, <gasps> that people forget they put in, you know, last week or whatever. Oh my God. Um, and I did find a condom once, but the only time, but she had come in saying, you know, she showed up at the office freaking out because she couldn't find the condom. Oh. Um, like we and just like, had sex and I can't find the condom and I can't get it out and I, I don't said, understand that. Come I, in and I will help you. Oh <laughs> my god, I don't understand that because it it's like you got all this like I get you said every vagina is different, so it's like deeper, so it's like stuck in there. It gets behind the cervix. I'm confused. How do you? Yeah, because it's only so it's a deep. Blind ending. You're right, but everyone's <laughs> uh, everyone's anatomy is a little different. And, yeah, you know. Oh my God. Yeah. I did have a micro penis before and the condom slipped off and I was like, it's in me. And I had to take a plan B pill. This is in college. So like, I was like, oh shit. Okay. So (laughs) something else that I wanted to ask you, if you notice when people have appointments with you and I think we all do it, I don't do it because I don't wear underwear, (laughs) but it's a big thing. Like women and a bunch of people ask me, they're like, did doctors notice how we stack our clothing? Like, (laughs) How we hide our bra and underwear. And for me, I just like lay my shit on. I just don't even think about that. But do you pay it? Do you notice that? Or you don't even, you don't even look. You know, I I didn't even know that that was a thing until my sister sent me like a video or something on Instagram. I was like, haha, isn't this funny? And I was like, what is this? Like women are stashing their underwears or hiding their bras. Yeah, no, I don't notice. The only time I notice is when uh, I have to move your clothes because they're sitting on my chair. Oh, so (laughs) I will tell you one thing that I do get stressed out about is that I'm waiting in the room and like, as they say, get dressed, get changed. Uh And I'm like waiting and then I'm sweating. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, my butt's sweating. And then my boobs are sweating. And I'm like, oh my God, I just hurry up, come in here before uh-huh. I start getting sweaty. Cause oh my God. <laughs> I'd say a lot of women worry about that. And I'd actually rather you be sweaty than cold and sitting in there cold and naked. And I know, yeah. but I'm just like, oh my God, please hurry. Cause I'm like starting to stick to the fucking paper <laughs> and it's in my ass crack. And then I'm like, oh my God, when you come in, I'm like, I'm very clumped right now. I'm hot. <laughs> I'm sweating. And now I got to spread my legs. Like it's a thing, but you don't ever care about that. Doctors just do not no, care. No, okay. No, I, d- I don't think I notice. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let me get in there and let me get out. Yeah. It's kind of the great equalizer. You know, I, I get in there and you're wearing the same, you know, pink gown and white sheet that everybody else, else is. Yeah. And, you know, I notice um, 
people's socks. That's about all I see. Mm. You know, either their pedicure or their socks. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll be like, see, oh, I'm self-conscious about that too. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I, I haven't got a pedicure. Oh my God. I just got my pedicure. I look good. Oh, I'm yeah. good. Um, I think about that. That's I don't, funny. I never notice when it's not there. It's more just like, oh, those are cool socks. Or <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Next question. How vital is it to pee after sex? It's for real, right? It's a, it's a good idea. Yes. Okay. So, um, the women's urethra is much smaller than a man's, which is much shorter, I should say. Mm-hmm. So the the it's like a direct conduit to the bladder which like i said should be a sterile area no bacteria allowed um so when you're having sex and and the urethra is getting um you know friction and Mm -hmm. stuff all up in there there's usually Mm -hmm. a little bit of bacteria that can creep in and so when you when you pee after sex you're flushing all that bacteria right at the entrance you're flushing it out okay so that it can't climb up and infect the bladder so we do see women that have more frequent UTIs if you don't pee after sex. I feel really stupid right now. I feel like incredibly stupid, but I'm sure someone else is going to relate to this. I thought you peed after sex to avoid yeast infections and BV. I forgot about the UTIs. It's all so about that's UTIs. the reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't even think about that. Like that's what it's I about. I guess it makes sense if you're also kind of trying to just get everything let out. The semen kind of drip yeah, out like of there. everything get out. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense too. I mean, the more that's in there, the Maybe the longer it hangs yeah. around, but I don't, I don't know. It's more, it's more about the UTIs. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then we've talked about UTI, uh, IUDs. We've talked about that. I'm going to skip past that. Okay. Um, what is your preferred method of birth control? I'm sure you're going to say it's case by case, person by person, but like, sure. what do you think works the best? What do you think is least impact on your hormone? Like, what do you think is. I can tell you, I loved my Mirena. Mm-hmm. I had two of them. Loved them. We in general OBGYNs we love the Mirena. Okay. You know, for so many reasons. The IUD. That's the Mirena yeah. IUD. Yep. Mm-hmm. And actually there's another brand, Liletta. There's different brands, but mm-hmm. basically the hormonal IUD, um, it makes your periods lighter. Yes. So, you know, you got problems with your periods, here's a here's a hormonal IUD. Yeah. You know, avoid surgery. It's awesome. It's the reason why I got an IUD yep. is because after I had my daughter, I had periods for two weeks. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And the IUD, and now, like I said, yeah. you place a new one during my surgery, mm-hmm. and I have been like, oh my god, like I just want to yeah. like praise the Lord because it's been so. I've had nothing. Yeah. I used to use um, the menstrual cups, which mm-hmm. I really love, and uh, I haven't had to use a thing. Mm-hmm. So, ugh. yeah, we love we it. love as a as a field, we we love the IUDs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, actually, I, I do kind of love the good old fashioned birth control pills too, just mm-hmm. just because they give you the most predictable periods. They really regulate your cycles. And some women really like that. You yeah. Because the, the hormonal IUDs don't give you as much cycle regulation. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're pretty local in your uterus. And so they really control the bleeding, but they don't necessarily regulate all that beautiful symphony of hormones that I was yeah. talking about, which some women prefer that and some women need that regulated, mm-hmm. you know, so it just depends yeah. on the person. Um, but, you know, it's hard to be. What about the thing pills. in the arm? What is that? The next one on. Yeah. Um, don't you gain a lot of weight with that? Like, I think no. Dr. Repka told me he was like, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, some of our docs do have the next plan on and love it. That mm-hmm. one is more person dependent. So mm-hmm. about a third of women, I'd say, you know, have no period and it's great. You know, you put it in and you got great birth control for three years and mm-hmm. then you change it out. And you don't well, have the IUD is even better because what, it's eight years now, right? Yep. They just extended it to oh, eight. So, yes. um, God, I'll be hopefully a meta, like for me, I got it done. I'm 41. Mm-hmm shit in eight years 50 so maybe we'll do one more for you and then one more oh and then you'll be done okay. <laughs> just you just still... to be safe <laughs> oh. 
Wow. So yeah. So I, I mean, I guess that's true. Like, how do you know when you're, if you're going through menopause and you're skipping a few periods, but if you have an IUD, you don't know. Right. So yeah. You might not know. And that's kind right. of nice. <laughs> right. So then maybe we, we make a plan, you know, maybe when it expires at age 49, you know, it would be and then it would be, yeah. So then we would decide, do we take it out or do we put a new one in and then yeah. get you to 50 something and then take it out. And then by then you should be long over menopause. Whew. There's so many different things that can happen. There's just so many. Yeah. And then I could have, who, God forbid, I might have a hysterectomy and then boom, I don't got to worry about nothing ever like that again. Then you, you know? would not need birth control. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You spend your whole life preventing pregnancy and then you want to get pregnant yeah. and it's like, oh my God. And I was very fortunate. I got pregnant on the first try. Mm-hmm. I told you I charted, got pregnant the first try. Um, and then you prevent it again. Like, I mean, I'm like, oh, hell no, you know? Um, but it's funny what we go through and the different evolutions of the stages. And I will tell you, it's very scary to want, I feel like it's scarier to want to get pregnant than to prevent it. Cause like you want it so bad. It's, it's a lot. So here's the next question. How old is too old to have babies? That is a great question. Um, depends on your health, Mm -hmm. but in general, we consider, uh, over 35, advanced maternal age mm-hmm. now that does that's all just for historic reasons and that just means what more testing um your insurance may cover additional chromosome screening is basically what it is so mm-hmm. historic and we use that number for historic reasons not for any real reason so in general as we get older the risk of chromosome issues goes up meaning the risk of down syndrome mm-hmm. the, and stuff like that um but then the other part of that would be potentially miscarriage as well, just because mm-hmm. our DNA gets damaged as we get older and the eggs have been there longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also people get more health issues, you know. So as we get older, same reasons that we get more high blood pressure, we get more cardiovascular disease, you know, same reasons. Yeah. You know, um, pregnancy is a big stress on your body. And so if we start to see that creep in. So a little bit higher rates. Diabetes. Of, mm-hmm. Gestational diabetes is huge yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Diabetes, high blood pressure, mm-hmm. preeclampsia. Now, all of those things we can manage. Yeah. So, um, and it, as we, and we offer, these days we offer genetic screening to everybody, regardless right. of your age, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we've got great non-invasive testing techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, after 40, so our fertility peaks really in our late, in our 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. it starts to decline Um a little faster after 35 and very rapidly after 40. Mm. So we still have, um, we still have lots of patients in their uh, early to mid forties, I would say maybe not a lot by the time you get to your mid forties. We don't start changing our management in terms of how we, you know, manage pregnant patients um, with the extra testing Mm -hmm. at the end of pregnancy and early delivery and stuff like that. We don't tend to get to that until you get after 40. Mm. And I've, you know, we've had some, I'd say it gets harder to get pregnant. And we've had most of our patients kind of in their late 40s tend to be more IVF right. um, patients. But yeah, so that's that's a good question. Um, but a lot of women are afraid to have babies in their 30s. And I would say don't be. So okay. um, more, more women nationwide now are having babies in their 30s than in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And that's a shift from historic uh, yeah. norms. Well, because I think we're spending time mm-hmm. getting our education, mm-hmm. building our career. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? All good things. Yeah. So there's Which I don't feel like, God, I, I can't, you know, I, with having my daughter, 
I would absolutely tell her, don't even think about mm-hmm. getting serious in relationship until after 25. Mm-hmm. And then you have like this five to seven year window. Mm-hmm. Boom. You got to, you know, get married, have babies, do all mm-hmm. the things. And I'm not a believer that you have to get married to do something. But, you know, having a baby is a lifelong commitment. Mm-hmm. And I feel like something you should make as you're older, more mature, you know what you want, mm-hmm. you know, your direction in life. It's it's tough. It's it is. Pros and, cons. and I will tell you something else, too. There is never fucking ever a good time to have a baby okay there's never a good time <laughs> that is ever <probably> true <laughs> if some people will say oh i'm gonna wait till next year when i fit no it's never gonna be a good time i was 31 which i felt like it's a great age but also sometimes i wish i had a, an older mm-hmm. child like a lot of my friends in my 40s their kids are in high school you know yeah. and my daughter's only 10 and then I have kids. I have friends that had kids at 16. Their kids are off in college. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just a very, there's just never a good time. No, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> Plus you can't, there's that, something to be said for all the energy you have when you're young too. Oh yeah. To take care, stay up all night with those kids. Well, here's the, here's the curse of that though. So you have the energy and you have, you know, your youth, but you don't have the foundation, the Absolutely. stability and the finances Absolutely. and all that stuff when you're older. So it's always a pros and cons. There is never, yeah, there's just so. never... <laughs> I will say on that note, um, if you are thinking about delaying childbearing, there is such a thing as egg freezing, and it's becoming more and more reliable. Mm. Um, It's never a guarantee. And so, you know, people who are familiar with IVF and frozen embryos, that technology has been very good for a long time. Um, But egg freezing is a newer thing. So that's something that you would do, you know, as a young woman who isn't ready for babies yet. Maybe yeah. you don't have the right relationship or whatever. Um, but it keeps the health of those eggs. Basically the idea is you'd go see a fertility specialist um, and they would, you have no partner or whatever. So you would just uh, go through stimulation and collect a certain number of eggs mm-hmm. and you would freeze those. And that way someday, you know, wow. later on, those maybe healthy you eggs find, are ready. Maybe you do find the right guy. Maybe you do decide to try to get pregnant. Now you can't. Now you need IVF. Yeah. And now, oh, good thing. You know, they would first probably try, you know, as you are. But, um, well, I'd let them talk about that. But um, now but, you have your eggs that are yours. Yeah, but what I, do you say? I mean, are eggs the important part or is it the viability of holding the child? Like, what's more so difficult? Both. Both. Oh, God. So, but but a lot, of, and it depends because everyone's fertility goes declines at yeah. different age, different mm-hmm. rates. And so, I've had patients in their late thirties who need to use a donor egg because mm. their eggs are not working anymore. Wow! But they're certainly healthy enough to carry a baby. Mm-hmm. So, but now that's not your genetic child. Now, yeah, right. Now it's still your child, and right. obviously, there's you know a lot of wonderful things about that. But mm-hmm. it's just different. Yeah. So I but I've had a lot of patients come to me at 40 and they say, do I need to freeze my Do you eggs? deal with surrogates? Do you see a lot of surrogates? We do have some surrogates. Yeah. Yep. And that's awesome. Yeah. And um but but I wish people had talked to pay you know my patients about freezing their eggs mm-hmm. 10 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. yes, now you're 40. You know, we wish we had frozen your eggs, you know, at, mm-hmm. in your early 30s. Yeah. So early 30s, Crazy. mid 30s, that's the ideal time to freeze eggs. You know, you probably wouldn't want to do it in your 20s. Because you've still got plenty of time yeah. to hopefully find the right person and do things the old-fashioned way. Right. Uh, that's much cheaper, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And more reliable. So, you know, egg freezing is not perfect. It's It's got a long way to go still. But anyway, it's, it's something that I wish people knew about earlier. Mm. Mm, good to know. Okay, let me ask you a question. What do you think about lubes, lotions, and all the potions you can use down there? What would you suggest never using? I'm thinking lotion. Like you should never use lotion down there. Yeah. So um, in general, you want to stay away from um, 
the oil-based stuff if okay. you're using condoms. Okay. Any kind of oil-based lube or natural oil or that kind of stuff is going to mm. weaken condoms. Mm. <clears throat> so Good to know. you'd want to use water-based, silicone-based. Okay. Um, lube is awesome. You know, we highly recommend it, especially as we get past menopause. Mm-hmm. I love lube, by the menopause. way. Big fan of, bl- yep. big fan of lube. Yep. Yeah. Um, I even use lube during, with toy play. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's no reason, absolutely. right? <laughs> Um, that area doesn't like friction. So yeah, yeah. Lube is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, water-based, silicone-based. I, I generally say to avoid stuff with fragrances or anything that says tingling or warming. That just sounds, Ooh, that yeah. sounds to me like irritating, yeah. you know? Like, let me, let me make things. Ew, they do have like that KY hot. Yeah, Ew, no. Sounds... I don't like KY, by the way. It's yeah. the worst. It's yeah. sticky. It's gross. Yeah. Not and a the, fan. And then, you know, you just kind of have to experiment a little bit. I've had yeah. patients tell me different lubes work for them. So. Oh, girl, <clears throat> I know about some lube. Yeah. Yeah. You. So that ask Adrian about that one. I will <laughs> tell you, if your patients ever ask, a very generic, easy, can be bought at, you know, Target, Walmart, whatever, Astroglide. Yes. Amazon. I really love Astroglide. It's my old faithful. And that, I believe, is a silicone-based one. So a little bit more yeah. durable and just and I just I love it. And it's not sticky. Mm-hmm. It doesn't smell like I'm a big smell person. Mm-hmm. And I have this other lube. It's called Turn On. It's a very, um, it's not water-based, though. So it's silicone-based. Mm-hmm. And that's more for, like, um, with your partner. I don't mm-hmm. use it on my toys. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love it. It's so silky and so smooth. I love it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So... It definitely takes some some getting. You, you gotta you gotta play things, but yeah. Astroglide yeah. is a, such a great lube. It and, really is. And then there is such a thing as vaginal moisturizers that are different from lube. Yeah, let's talk about that because I have a lot of people that ask me. You know, how do you how do you suggest getting wetter better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So what what is that? I've never so used that before. Usually, I think about it for women who are approaching menopause or postmenopausal as as your estrogen levels decline, the vaginal tissues are actually very responsive to estrogen. Oh, and yeah. so as your estrogen levels decline, the tissues change, you know, so they, the vaginal tissues get thinner, more mm-hmm. fragile. Um, they don't stretch as well. So um, they don't, they're not as moist and actually you lose some of that natural, healthy lactobacillus as well. Mm-hmm. So we already talked about that, but um, vaginal moisturizers, you know, you can use at any age. So you would use them like two or three times a week. Um, and it's the same way you'd moisturize Vaginal moisturize. What do you, oh, so it's like an out, like, okay. So you would use, you know, your hyaluronic acid, you mm-hmm. know, facial moisturizer. Like if you go to get a facial and they put that yeah. fancy stuff on there, it's the same kind of thing. So mm. it's a heavy duty moisturizer that you, some, some, some of them are gels. Some mm. of them are, um, little suppositories. Is it called Refresh? I've heard about this. Um, there's a brand called Refresh. There is a brand called Refresh. I think that's a little bit different. Um, and and actually, the it's confusing because and I've had patients bring me these things yeah. because there's a brand and then there's different products yes. from the brand. And yes. so I'm like, well, refresh what you know, right? And just bring it to me and show me, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so or sometimes I'm looking it up online, like which one is this? So I feel like I need to try that the like yeah. rewetting thing. Yeah. I feel like I need to try it. So Replens is one brand yeah. that I'm familiar with. That's a gel. There's one called Bovina. Mm. Um, there's one called. Uh, and this Reverie. is something that you do. Like throughout for, for a duration, and then it mm-hmm. just helps you. Or yeah. do you do it right before? No, nope, like, it's just okay. a moisturizer, so you just use it regularly. I do have a pro tip, by the way, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan about this because sometimes, I mean, and I luckily have not had any issues with getting wet. Um, because foreplay is key. Your partner yes, should absolutely. be. I mean, come on, you got to warm that engine up. Ugh. Okay. And it's not just lubrication. Yes. It's blood flow. Everything. Yeah. So you can't just throw some lube on there and call it foreplay. You gotta. Oh, you yes. gotta warm up. You gotta really. So true you know, 
bring the blood flow to the tissues. Yes. You got they're more elastic, they're more forgiving. There's, you know, all kinds of wonderful things that happen. I love the, the science behind that. Absolutely. <laughs> but what I want to say as a pro tip that I have is sometimes I will take a little bit of lube, like especially at the end of your period, mm-hmm. I'll take a little lube and stick it up there if I know I'm gonna be getting it on. They don't know. They don't know. Yeah. And it's just a little bit of lube. Yeah. And it's just, it's just and yeah. especially around the outside, that helps with the friction mm-hmm. going, you know what I mean? So, yep. and you'll notice that, of that during, as you're different times in your cycle, your yep. vagina is going to feel different. That's mm. all hormones. Yes. Um, And same with different birth controls, you know? Yeah. Systemic birth controls, hormone, you know, IUDs, it's all mm-hmm. going to affect everyone a little bit different. Um, Some people feel that the Nuva ring, which is a, combined hormonal birth control that you put in the vagina. Yeah. Some people find that they have more vaginal discharge with that. So some people actually like the extra moisture down Mm. there. Um, So that would be one thing to consider if they're having trouble with that. Now, see, I wouldn't be a fan of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not everyone likes all the time. Right. Well, also, I don't wear underwear. So like that would be a problem for me. Right. Yeah. And then some people complain about the vaginal discharge. So yeah, no. Not a fan of that. Yeah. Okay. So here's a huge question. And by the way, I put on my Instagram, I was like, okay, my OBGYN is coming on. I'm so excited to have her. Give me your questions. I swear to God, probably 50 people ask this. Okay. Is squirt? pee. Is it pee, Dr. V? I don't know. Is it? I'm a squirter, actually. So like. So this is is one they don't teach us in medical school or residency. (laughs) Okay. So I had to look into this one a little bit more. But in general, you do have some glands around the vaginal opening that do help create lubrication. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is such a thing as female ejaculation Mm -hmm. and squirting and all of this. And and there actually are studies on all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was looking into some of those. Um, the glands don't hold a lot of fluid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you talk about squirting, it's usually more a lot like a decent volume, you know, it's yeah. not just a couple yeah. of cc's. Right. And so anything more than a, you know, just a little bit, a few milliliters is probably coming from the bladder. Oh, yeah. So, um, and actually the, the stuff I was reading was talking about the difference between female ejaculation and squirting. Yeah. So there's actually a difference. And so, mm. so, um, the discharge that comes out of the skein's gland, which is, you know, one of the glands that lubricates the vagina, it's kind of equivalent to the male prostate. Mm. That's a few milliliters and that's, you know, they consider that female ejaculation. Whereas squirting, which is a, um, you know, more like an ejection of a little of, uh, basically out of the urethra. Yeah. Okay. But can (laughs) I just tell you, (laughs) can I just tell you, it doesn't smell like pee. Right. And so, <laughs> so actually the stuff I was reading, it's was like a little about, mix. Mm-hmm, okay. It was like dilute urine. Okay. All right. Well, it's, <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking of myself. So because... there are studies about this and then there okay. were a lot of different papers and yeah, they were like <laughs> okay. measuring, you know, the substances in there. It was interesting, okay. but it comes out of the urethra and, and a lot of it's from the bladder. So there might be some other stuff mixed in there, but, okay. but yes. Okay. So, so I don't know how to answer your question. I guess yes and no. I, I like, I, I'll take it. <laughs> I think the men out there are like, that's fine to say it's, you know. Yep. That's yeah. the best, okay. best answer I could yeah. find for you. <laughs> you know, I've always kind of, I've always been a squirter. Well, ever since I had, so I had an incredible fuck buddy. I mentioned him earlier, Pawn Star. He was 10 years older than me and he taught me what good sex was. He taught me how to suck dick. He was literally like a fucking teacher. He would mm-hmm. be like, Adrian, this is, but it allowed me, because I was like, no man's ever given me an orgasm before. And he's like, you need to let yourself go and I'm going to put in the time and I'm going to see what you like. And like, he schooled the shit out of me. 
And I became a squirter with him. Like, so I just like let myself go. And it doesn't happen every time, but okay, well, there we have it. And everyone needs a teacher like that, by the way. Oh, I, I know. I a lot of women that come to me and they say, you know, I don't think I've ever had an orgasm, <gasps> you know, and you're not weird. That's normal. Wow. That's common. You know, it's, and, and exactly what you're talking about. You got to experiment. Yeah. You know, no one else is going to know how, what you like. Until you figure out what, what you like. I used to joke around, well, now in my life, the people I surround myself with, no one is denying it. But I remember being in high school and stuff, and, and I would be like, girls would be like, I don't do that. And I'd be like, um, come on, like, let's just be real. Like, we're all doing that. And they would deny, deny, deny. And I'm like, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Like, That's I don't know. the difference between a teenager and a grown up. Yes, but still, but even in college, I remember people being like, I don't do that. And I don't, you know, and I even have people now that, you know, they'll bulk at toys or be like, I don't use toys and I don't do And I'm like, well, you're missing out because, (laughs) um, I would agree as a professional. Yeah. Like you should know your body best. And Mm -hmm. I think masturbation is extremely healthy. Yeah. Number one, it allows you to relieve that stress and all of the above, but also get to know your body and Mm -hmm. what you will like with your partners. So. And the more you think about sex, the more you have sex. It's so true. The more yes. you're going to want it. And that goes back to yep. what you were saying earlier about the decreased, you know, sexual right. desire. That's um, hundred. There's good evidence behind that, too. Yeah. You remember when that book, Fifty Shades of Grey, came out yep. and how all the husbands were like, oh, my God, it's because they're reading about mm-hmm. it. They're thinking about mm-hmm. it. And then they're doing it. It's mm-hmm. so true. Very true. Good evidence for that. Too. Yes. Yes. OK. So someone asked, this is a very specific question, with posterior vaginal prolapse, is sex harmful? I don't even know what that means. but So that kind of goes back to that pelvic floor stuff we were talking about. So some women have more descent of certain parts of the vagina um, and the vaginal tissues. And a lot of that's genetic, unfortunately. Mm. But um, in general, sex should not be dangerous with prolapse. Okay. Um, Sometimes it can be uncomfortable, weird, whatever, make people feel all kinds of different ways. Um, But it shouldn't be harmful. One of the things I remember you said to me when I was terrified Mm -hmm. and in your office and we had like the pre-op before my leap procedure is I was like, am I going to be able to have an orgasm? Am I going to like, is sex going to feel normal? And you said to me, you were like, Adrian, you might have a moment of where mentally you're not there, but physically you are or physically you are mentally you're not. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you bringing recognition to that because it's very true. It is. Both have to be in sync for Mm -hmm. that to happen. Um. And, and so, I, and I would just say, also ask your doctor, you know, just say, Hey, is it okay for me to have sex yeah. with this, whatever I have going on personally? Yeah. And hopefully they'll be like, Oh yeah, no problem. You right. Know? Like how I was asking you, I think I saw you two weeks after my leap procedure mm-hmm. and you said two more weeks. Mm-hmm. I ended up waiting five, five. Mm-hmm. I felt like five weeks where I was super comfortable mentally mm-hmm. and physically mm-hmm. ready. Uh, so if anybody's getting a leap procedure, I feel like five weeks is pretty, pretty good. And the time did fly by, even for a mm-hmm. nympho psychopath mm-hmm. like me. <laughs> like, I was like, it was, I was still using my toys, clit toys, mm-hmm. um, but nothing inside. And um, I feel like five weeks was the perfect sweet spot. And I was, I was good, girl, I was good to go <laughs> after that. <laughs> but all right, I'm, I think I have, you've answered all my questions. Awesome. Those a lot. Awesome. <laughs> so I just want to thank you so much for being here. It means so much to me. And I have a little surprise for you. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. I'm pulling up a bag. Oh, my um, goodness. I got you a little gift. Aww. So I'll let you open that up. Something about me that I started, and it was with my primary uh, care doctor. He was like, Adrian, you've got to start reducing stress. And so I picked up a paintbrush, and I started oh, painting. Nice. So I painted you a little something. Aww, I love <laughs> 
love that. I hope it's... Wait till you see. <laughs> oh, I it's love a... it. So it's an oyster. Did you oyster. paint those ones in there? I did. Oh, yep. Nice. Yep. So I started painting and it's very Georgia O'Keeffe. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's an oyster. It is. It has like it. the gold, you know, pearl. And... But it kind of looks like a vagina. It right? sure like, does. Flip it the other way. It goes, yeah. There oh, you go. Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. See the vagina. I thought this was the clitoris here. No, no, no. So flip it over and then yes. Beautiful. So you can put it in your office. I will. I will do that. <laughs> I was thinking. I was like, it'll look good in there. Yeah, but I just, so I can't much. thank you enough for being here. It means so much. And if there's one thing that I feel like people can learn, it's just to talk to your doctor. Yes, and we're people. talk about things. Yeah. And we wouldn't work as hard as we did if we didn't care. Yes. So. Well, this was super fun. And I just cannot thank you again. So thank you for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. It means so much. And I hope you like my vagina hanging in your. <laughs> I will. I will always remember that this is your vagina. I will not tell uh, anyone else so that they don't you know, you know my secret. You know what? Someone's going to look at it. and They're going to be like, is that a vagina? I but I kind of like that. When you saw my pictures hanging in the uh basement here, were you like, um, what are those? No. <laughs> or do you think like, oyster? I thought they were oysters. Yes. I was like, oh, like okay, little, perfect. little ocean theme. Yes, I yes, yeah. yep. <laughs> so funny. Cravers. <laughs> Coming up, I have so many hot experiences to share, including an insane FMF that I just had last night. And I, I got to tell you something. I'm fucking dead tired. Like, I'm so <laughs> tired. When you use your body as an amusement park, it drains you. I don't think people talk about that in the lifestyle. When you have these incredible marathon sex sessions. Like I'm fucking tired. Okay. But it was so hot and I had my first strap on experience and DVP that's double vaginal penetration for the first time. And let me just tell you, uh, that was intense and I fucking loved it. And now I'm going to be addicted to that. So the bar is raised higher yet again. This weekend is the hotel takeover, and I have another play date scheduled with my dom. I tell you, <laughs> I am living the fucking life out here, both naughty and nice. Tis the fucking season, baby. 